0: Hello, and welcome to the ResearchOps podcast, an initiative of the ResearchOps community. I'm your host for today, Brigitte Metzler. I'm one of the co chairs of this huge, global, volunteer run community. As always, I'm assuming if you're listening, then you might know a little bit about ResearchOps, the mechanisms and processes that set user research in motion. If you'd like to know more about ResearchOps, you can find us at our website, researchops.community or on our medium publications in English, French, German, and Portuguese. Follow us at Team ReOps on Twitter. Find the group on LinkedIn, and join in the conversation at hashtag ResearchOps. We're recording a special series of the ResearchOps podcast in preparation for the ResearchOps Conf, a partnership between learners and the ResearchOps community. The conference is on in New York City Wednesday, June the 8th. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Emily DeLeo, who works in research operations at SAP. We'll be speaking about our shared passion subject, research repositories. Emily's talk at the conference is going to be practical, something to draw from as you progress on your research repo journey. She's talking about the part that I think is 70% of the work, the cultural shift required to implement a knowledge management system. Given the way we currently approach user research, This is change work. It requires a shift in behaviors and beliefs. Dr. Emily DeLeo is well-placed to teach us how, having a PhD in ethnomusicology and a master's in library and information sciences. She will focus on practices that will help you organize, describe, and ultimately tell the story of your research studies. I'm so excited to interview Emily. I suspect we may be about to get really nerdy because I've never met a person who better understood what's required to implement a knowledge management system for user research than Emily. Hold onto your hats and let's learn together. So welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Really Thank pleased you. to have you. Um, yeah. So in, in the introduction to, to um, this podcast, I was talking about how you've got uh, a PhD in ethnomusicology and and a master's in, in library and information sciences, which is just such an amazing combination. How did that happen? How hmm. did you come to have that combination? Yeah,
1: so... Um... I had always worked in libraries, even as an undergraduate student, Um, that was kind of my side job. But yes, I went into, I was a music major at college, and then I went on to study ethnomusicology. Um, I think in retrospect, I didn't go into ethnomusicology because I was interested necessarily in world music. That's mm-hmm. kind of an old an older outdated definition of ethnomusicology. Mm-hmm. I think I was actually more interested in people. I was interested in how people thought about music. I mean, of course the sound of the music would draw me in and I'd be I'd be interested to know how the sound was produced and how people thought about the creation of it and the consumption of it. Um, but, um, yeah. So I went on to do a master's degree in ethnomusicology, um, in the UK. Uh
0: Um,
1: and I studied, um, a borough in East London. I studied kind of music making in that borough. So maybe that was the beginning. Yeah. That maybe was the beginning of that kind of, um, you know, more, practical ethnography, right? So I was talking to, um, kids that went to school. I was talking to cultural, um, organizations and leaders at that time, that borough had a lot of asylum seekers in it. And so I didn't really actually see much music, music going on. And I knew there were all these different people there. And so I was very curious to know like what the story was. So, um, okay. Yeah,
0: I can yeah. hear that, um, that whole thing about the storytelling is—is is, does that sound mm-hmm. like it, with, with library mm-hmm. and information sciences? What's the attraction there? Yeah, so um,
1: I think that was actually just more of a practical a practical add-on. So after I finished a PhD in ethnomusicology, when I had gone on to do a PhD, I um, was on the faculty job market, and I think everybody knows how difficult that is to find a position. Um, And in the meantime, I had taken a library job at uh, Yale University, and I was working in the music library in the archive. And you know, after two or three years there, I was like, you know, I really don't think the faculty track is for me. I don't, you know, it's just not fruitful. Um, and I, I really like this work I'm doing. So why don't I, you know, do this degree as I go? And I did it, you know, very gradually, uh, just course by course as I, as I actually did the work over a number of years.
0: Mm -hmm. And So, so what's the, what's the, the passion there? How did, how did, how do you experience your sense of joy when you're doing that sort of library information sciences type work?
1: That's a good question too because I mean really what I brought into that degree and I did um, archives management and I can talk more about the difference there so it was really about archives, which is a little bit of a different um, practice. It's a different theory and practice than a straight up librarianship, but it has a lot to do with storytelling and it has a lot to do with voice and agency and transparency and all those things that really interest me about ethnography.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I can hear as well, you know, you're talking about that voice and transparency and agency and and i think when we're doing research operations a lot of that work is how do we carry that agency and voice and story all the way through across the whole of a research life cycle so um, mm-hmm. it's yeah it's singing mm-hmm. to me that that this is probably where that passion uh, combines would you say mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
1: i would say so and then you know it, it from, you know, an ops perspective, and also kind of brings in the work I did with the union I was part of at Yale, where, um, you know, just kind of really sharpened my sense of the work, and who does the work, and what is their experience of doing the work, which I think, you know, positions me for ops, because I'm, I'm, I am interested in the researchers. I'm interested in the researchers experience, right? I'm researching the researchers, which is very interesting to me because it's a relatively new field UX for me. And so I want to know, you know, what's your experience of, uh, you know, as a researcher, what is your story? What is your story of the research that you just did?
0: Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think it's one of the, the the bits that we sort of miss and and I think uh you know when you look at the difference between and I'd love to explore about the difference between archives and libraries when you think about research repositories or or knowledge management systems let's say because there's a lot more than just research repositories as we know um
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you when you think about those things the difference is you know if you go to a library the librarian is is all about getting you to the knowledge, whereas in the user research sort of role that, that is emerging from research operations, it's also about how do we carry that story through and make sure that, that knowledge transfer occurs and that the story gets told faithfully mm-hmm. and, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell me how, you're very clear about how archives informs your practice. Um, can we talk about that more? I'd love to understand mm-hmm. what that means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you
1: know, maybe if I can just um, reflect a little bit on what you just said about the story. So when you're an archivist, um, basically, you are brought a collection of materials. Um, You come upon a collection of materials, you know, in, in various ways. And then you have to make sense of it. Right. So you have to figure out what is the story behind this material. I'm sitting in front of these photographs, these letters, these right. sound recordings. Oftentimes, the person who owned them is has passed away, mm-hmm. um, and you don't often have access to any kind of firsthand knowledge about what these things are. So you kind of have to, um, you know, do a lot of research and and figure out what things are. And then um, you, as the archivist, have this really important. Ro- to, job to do which is describe the material describe it and organize it keep it as closely organized as it originally came to you as possible is kind of one of the the main rules of archival practice but it's this idea of description and making sense and then you pass that along to the user so my kind of what I used to champion when I was working as an archivist was this transparency, which comes from ethnography, which was, you know, as archivists, we need to talk about what our role was when we process that collection, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
1: so because we may have done it the wrong way, or we may have overlooked something, or we may, we made decisions on how to organize something. And nobody knows why we made those decisions unless we write them down and tell people why. Yeah. Right. And same thing with research, right? Nobody knows why we conducted a research study the way we did unless we tell that story somehow.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I've been th- giving that some thought too because, uh, you know, part of the, the challenge of of having a knowledge management, management system that sort of moves beyond the time of the researchers so say if the researcher is not actually there in the organisation anymore and thinking about how is this different from how I experience research as an academic where you know my work will be out in the public domain and uh, it'll be referred to and, and yet I never really have that same uh, sense of, of uh, concern about people understanding the context and I realised um, recently of course that when you come to the table expecting that that context needs to travel with the research, that um, that's just a part of the embedded practice. Whereas in user research, we mm-hmm. researchers expect to be able to be there telling the story and somehow we are mm-hmm. changing that. So you know, mm-hmm. you've indicated and that, uh, that knowledge management systems in user research is change work. Um, and I think you're going to talk about that a lot in your talk. Um, and I certainly wholeheartedly agree. Should we talk about, about the, that change work that needs to be done in organisations and how mm-hmm. your experience um, is there?
1: Sure. And I mean, again, you know, what you just said about and what I was talking about that, like reflecting and telling the story of the research, that was something that Sam Ladner talked about at the Advancing Research Conference. And she called that rigor. You know, she said, this is what makes a study rigorous is that we can, we choose a method and we can tell people why we chose that method. Mm-hmm. Right. So following that line of reasoning, like, um, you know, that this kind of storytelling of our own process can only make our research practice more
0: rigorous. Um, yeah. Um, so that can look like, I know, um, in my own practice, for example, we have a very large research plan and the researchers are like, why does this research plan have to be so long? It's <laughs> a good question. And it's because it's trying to draw out that story. But how do you embed that practice um, at SAP? for example how does that look yeah
1: that's that's a good question so that's you know what i've what i've been thinking about as you know when i come into new organizations and see how they do things um and i think probably the first concept that i go to is description so archival description right there's as you know, some people may know that archives has like a very lengthy, um, handbook that archivists use to put together description. And so there are certain ways that you describe things and, um, you know, it's all, it's all very, very detailed, this handbook, but what is so interesting when you come into an organization, and I think everybody knows this, is that you kind of you know, you might like go to the SharePoint and kind of poke around and look and see what people have done. And it's just kind of a slog because you have pretty much no idea of what you're looking at, right? You know, you, you look at a document, you don't know anything. Like there may not even be a date on the document, first of all. Right. But like, um, you don't know what it was used for, mm-hmm. like if it was a good document, if it was mm-hmm. a good study, like there's no indication of the story behind that document. And, you know, we all know how, you know, what turnover is like at companies. Um, yeah. And that just seems so odd to me that like, how can you build, build on a corpus of research when it's not described and when it's well, first of all, you're lucky if it's all in SharePoint, right? Um, so that's certainly one practical thing I'm going to talk about in the talk is just kind of like how to do that. And it's it's pretty simple, um, pretty simple to do these kinds of practices, like just, just to enter in that level of description. Mm-hmm. Um, and in SharePoint, you can, you know, you can easily just add a column and just just write, you know, whatever is important to your team, like we use this for this and it or, or this was just a draft or, or whatnot. So that when people look in your file, they can just scan their eyes down and just see what's there. And there's a story, right? First of all, it's easier, it's not such a slog. And second of all, if you just going through the process, there's another thing that Sam Lander said, cause I listened to her talk again the other day, actually at work. And just the process of going through and reviewing those documents and describing them is like analysis. Yeah. It's analysis, right? It's, it's like more longitudinal analysis and it's, it's a practice that's worth doing um, for all sorts of reasons.
0: Yeah. Um, I'd love to dig into that sort of meta analysis and the opportunities in, in research repositories, um, should we first of all though start at the beginning so you know how do how do you how do people go into an organization so the first of all you said that they you you should get in and start to describe the work what are some of the the change aspects what are the some of the cultural things that need to change there or that you need to sort of influence when you're when you're trying to get started
1: yeah so I think it's going to vary. I, again, you know, just because of my background, I'm not I'm not a straight up librarian or straight up archivist, right? I think I am primarily an ethnographer and anthropologist. So when I go into an organization, I don't really decide what needs to be done for quite a while. <laughs> um, yeah. I need to know a lot. Right. I need to know what the researcher's experience is like. I need to know, like, what are the pain points in the research org? Um, You know, there's a huge range of, you know, maturity of research practices. So, I mean, in order to make that shift, you have to meet people where they are. Um, that's what, that's what, like, I know this has been said before, but librarians like to say that too, right? Like we need to meet our users where they are. Um, you know, there could be a lot of, um, I mean, there's all sorts of work that you could do, but just depending on what people are ready to do and what, what, what people feel is the most critical thing to do at this point in time.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but I would say, you know just to answer your question more directly like i think the main thing is just time i don't think researchers have time or are given time to really do this kind of reflective work um but and it's not incentivized either right so it's just not part of the practice so you kind of have to Dig in to see like why this isn't happening. Um, I did know of a lead researcher who would do kind of a debrief after her studies and record it, and I thought that was genius because a is super light lift. Like no one has to write up anything, and you have that documentation to refer to if anyone wants to know what really <laughs> happened in that research study. As long as you cover this, the, the right questions in that debrief, all they have to do is listen to it.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So it's it's time. Right. So part of the role of of research operations, then, if I'm hearing you right, is about creating that sense that that time is well spent, and then embedding that mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, and so tell me. You mentioned incentivize, people being incentivized to do it or not do it. And, um, you know, what are some of the types of indications that you see in organizations that maybe they might be ready to to look at knowledge management systems for user research? It doesn't always mm-hmm. happen. It's often just get the recruitment right. Mm-hmm. When When does it become something about knowledge management, do you know?
1: Yes, well... From what I can tell, as I've kind of observed kind of in the Reops Slack channel and just looking at what people are talking about, I'm not sure that organizations think they're ready for the right reasons, right? There's, I think, I feel like people are still grasping at straws a little bit mm-hmm. and like the best argument they can come up with is so we don't duplicate effort, mm-hmm. right? Um, to me, that for me, that's still an open question. Like, I really, I really would would love to kind of solidify that that reasoning a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, because you you do have to talk about ultimately the bottom line, right? Yeah. When it talks to when it when when it comes to knowledge
0: management systems. Yeah, because it's on a scale, right? I mean, how much mm. how much effort and energy do you put into building a knowledge management system? As opposed to the quality and and use of the research, absolutely. And I
1: don't. And I mean, the problem is, and I would say it's it is a problem that like most places are not hiring an information science person to do these repositories. I mean, you know this, right? So you know, from your study, is that you know I talk to folks all the time who are just like "Eh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing, and then and that's not a great place to start i mean it's kind of um it's super stressful right (laughs) like if you don't know where to start and then there's you know this other i think kind of problem about a repository you know being kind of a buzzword Mm -hmm. um and meaning so many different things and absolutely as and you know that finding that you all came up with like that people don't seem to know how to define what the repository is, or Mm -hmm. they go forward with it before doing that, which is so odd to me. Um, It's odd to me too. (laughs) Right. I mean, it could be that your need is actually quite simple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. So yeah, let's reflect on that. I think in the you know, in the in the uh, project in, that the community has done, we've got a finding of having four different types of, mm-hmm. um, of, of knowledge management systems. So you've got your research register, you've got, um, you know, your insights hub, you've got your research data repository and your library. Do you, have you seen those or what, what do you think, um, what have you seen play out in organisations? What, what are people aiming for usually when they don't know what it is that they think that they're doing? <laughs>
1: Um, well, I think the problem is they're aiming for everything all at once, right? Like they're reading about all these things and how great they are. And, and unfortunately, actually a lot of the tools are made that way. Yeah. They're kind of like scatter scattershot. Is that the right word? I don't know. They're just, they seem, they're confusing to look at as yeah. a librarian because they seem to want to do all these different things yeah. when the rules of engagement not to mention governments and every governance and everything else is so different for a research library versus an insights hub, right? Yeah. Just having raw data in somewhere, it, it's just a, a completely different project, right? It's just you yeah. can't. It's 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 hard for me to think of those things
0: in the same bucket. Yeah, yeah, I agree because the governance is going to be so different, right? Mm-hmm. For a start. And, and then how that story gets told, maybe, mm-hmm. do you think?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, they just have different functions as far as I'm aware. And I don't, you know, but one thing, you know, I, I do, which I think kind of ensures um, some level of success is when I come into an organization, it's just look at the strategic goals of the org, right because i think to like the more you can tie your knowledge management repository whatever it is you're trying to build (laughs) into those goals yeah now the better chance you are of getting that kind of upper level support which i think is is critical
0: yeah should we talk about the bit that doesn't get talked about very often (laughs) which is um... Which is basically the, you know, the funding, I think, is, is uh, problematic because you've got um, a group of researchers who might tend to be in one space who are going to all of the effort and all of that sort of work mm-hmm. for the entire organisation. Do you see, how do you see that change work going on there? I mean, I think about silo, breaking down silos and all that sort of stuff. Talk to me about that that aspect of, of, um, knowledge management. Hmm. Any, any thoughts or opinions about it? You mean
1: getting, you mean getting things kind of getting, getting it off the ground? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your repositories seem to start from a researcher, right. Or two or three. Who have yeah. like this particular interest and feel that like our frustration, right? Like, like why are we doing this work again, like over and over and over, right? And so, you know, as they start thinking about this, you know, how to how to kind of problem solve this area, and they, you know, it, it usually is this kind of like small group of really kind of dedicated individuals who are really interested in this, you know, particular aspect. Um, And they kind of get together. And if they're lucky, they'll be able to hire, you know, someone to come in, right? So like at Thomson Reuters, I was a contractor that came in to do that work, to help them do that work. And I think that's probably like a best, maybe best case scenario in terms of standing up a repository is to have an information science professional there with you as a member of the team as you're standing it up. Um, of course an even better case scenario is to have that person to you know to have a a librarian right or or someone on the ops team who has those skills to keep it going because it has all sorts of growth potential and all things sorts of things to manage right because what i'm what i'm kind of afraid I might see well i I guess i should say i've seen it before right folks that have stood up their own repository or thing that they think that the that the organization should have and it crashed and burned and now it's just sitting there right and so you know you also have to come in you know i've i've come in and and talked to those people who tried to stand those things up and you know figure out what happened so It's hard and it's frustrating. You do have to drum that up, but I think, and I I hope that what I can present and the things that I can talk about at this, at at the conference can help people kind of do things on their own in their orgs that are, that are not like, if, if you're not ready for a repository, but you're ready for that change. You can still make those changes. You don't have to implement a research repository, yes. right? Like a repository is just a place. Well, in archives, it is, right? That's that's the definition of a repository in archives is just like a place where archival material lives, right? You can use whatever you want. You can use SharePoint if you want. Um, you just, you know, what I'm hoping is just to kind of come up with these kind of principles and like ways for people to do this work um that's really the work of a repository it's not choosing a tool
0: <laughs> right yeah right right so, and that's i think uh is that the the sort of place to start that research register kind of place where you're just making mm-hmm. sure that it's all known and all of that kind of stuff
1: sure sure i haven't yes i mean i i would I would say so. I have not seen a register like that, but I mean, that doesn't mean anything. I've only, you know, been yeah. in UX for a year, but, yeah. Um, yeah. but I definitely, you know, would go into an org and like make a list of what I would call data sources. Yeah. Right. So make a list of like those little repos that may get set up here and there, you know, in different different uh, parts of the company yeah. uh, maybe you know customer feedback maybe they have something that they use yeah. and then just kind of you know consider which one of these things should go into like a larger repository and which ones maybe shouldn't and should or just better standalone tools
0: Okey-dokey. so yeah mm. so um what will people learn if they come to the conference from ah. <laughs> well yeah what what i would
1: love to show people is is just you know talk about those skills and talk about the things that i don't think people may not think about right where you when you are kind of in the heat of you know turning out a research study um you know you're not going to think about like labeling your (laughs) labeling every document or you know in the document but you know it can be very simple things um, that you can do, right. I'm going to, I'm going to try and keep it to those very simple light lift kind of activities, um, practices, behaviors actually is what I like to call them like behaviors that you can implement in your research practice that will just make everything, I think, easier, less of a slog and more rigorous. Right. And like, ideally there would be more rigor and more storytelling. Right. And so, would encourage that right so you can look you can look in a folder in your sharepoint and see a research study and all the documents around it and you can see the story right in front of your face yeah right you don't have to wonder yeah how did this turn out out? (laughs) 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 or was this used right like you could you could put whatever
0: add whatever you want to that story yeah yeah and um a final sort of question. What do you think are the challenges for research ops as it's embedded in organizations? What's your take on that?
1: Hmm. I think, you know, having just having just been on the job market, which is like particularly crazy right now, yeah. Um, yeah. there's just a wide range of ops practices. Mm. Um, it can be Everything from, you know, oh, these are the tasks that we don't want to do, <laughs> or we don't have time to do as researchers, uh-huh. to like, like super strategic positions. And I think that just hiring for that tactical work, I think that that is very short-sighted. Yeah. I don't think it's, um, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, of course, but I uh-huh. I think um. You know, certainly you can have a team that has people on it who are tactical and also people who, you know, have been around the block for research like those are that's an excellent position for a person like that to be in. I find it odd that in a lot of places, ops is seen as kind of like a secondary, (laughs) secondary position, which it never comes across to me that way, because I'm like, wow, to be on ops team, you have to know about research you have to know what these teams are trying to do and you have to be able to help them whether that's tactical or strategic or coaching mm-hmm. um and you've got to have those those people yeah on that team as well right that you're going to get the most
0: bang for your buck for sure yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah Very good yeah i think that uh yeah that whole strategic end of ups of it's probably it probably is i'd agree it's the bit that's mm-hmm. the challenge right now is being able to articulate really well what that does, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't know where that, I don't know where that work lives now, right? Because I'm like, okay, so research ops, like that kind of work, is not new, right? That's just work that has been done by researchers. Yeah. So yeah. the strategic portion of it, I think, is, I mean, certainly also something that's done by researchers. But my guess is that that kind of str- those strategic conversations aren't always like captured or like uh, put into action I don't know by having someone who who is kind of quote in charge of mm-hmm. the strategy right or at least kind of corralling it somehow then you can make it a little more actionable
0: I would think yeah maybe it speaks to the pain points of how research operations Sort of arose in the first place is that that mm. lack of that programmatic view or that mm-hmm. lack of capacity to be forward thinking that mm-hmm. knowledge management might grant you do you see yes yeah you see that in your your knowledge management systems that it grants you that capacity
1: oh for sure i mean and it's not the only one sure right because i mean i talked to um, you know, even the folks on ops teams who do tactical work, like who do participant recruitment, they know everything that's going on. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like, you know, that they, they, their eyes are on, on all those things. Right. And that's what the ops team is like. And, um, you may, they may be the only ones. Who actually know, especially in a very large organization, like the ones I've worked in, where, yeah, where there's all sorts of things going on in the nooks and crannies of organizations. And this, these ops folks are the ones who know what everyone is doing.
0: Yeah, the, the hub. To all mm-hmm. of the spokes <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic well thank you so much for your time today emily mm-hmm. it's um been just wonderful to to get into that whole knowledge management stuff and the storytelling aspect of it yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's such a gift that you that you bring to the profession um, wow, thank you yeah that combination of storytelling and, and I
1: yeah i just you know i really just want to um you know, and here's maybe my union background coming in too, but I just really do want to empower people. I do see that, you know, UX research, user research is hard yeah. um, because you have to advocate. It feels like researchers are constantly advocating for the work they do. Um, and that's really hard. That's really hard to have yeah. those conversations every day. And, you know, if, if you know, these ideas, knowledge management and behaviors can help um, kind of, you know, uh organized and make things more rigorous and somehow more impactful, then that's great. Yeah. That's great. Fantastic.
0: Well thank you so much. We'll see you in New York um, on June the 8th. Yes. Thank yes. You.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Bridget. Thanks.
0: And that's the end of today's podcast. Don't forget, you can find tickets to the ReopsConf 2022 at ReopsConf. 2022.joinlearners.com. It's on Wednesday, June 8th, in person in New York City or online. You can see Holly, myself, most of the Research Ops board, our speakers, and of course, others in the community at the conference. We're so looking forward to seeing you all there. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you want to hear more, please subscribe or join us in the Research Ops community on Slack if there's someone you'd like us to talk to please let us know we hope you'll join us next time at the research ups podcast or we'll see you soon in the slack